Um, if you have a Bible and you want to open up to Romans chapter 10, um, that is more or less where we're going to be hanging out tonight. Now, while you are flipping or pressing on your phone to get to that part in the Bible, um, I want to talk about stories. Stories are important to us humans, right? Like we are storytelling, story receiving kind of creatures. Um, I mean, speaking of which, like Barbenheimer, that's like a thing, right? Did, did anybody participate in that? Show of hands, who preferred Barbie? Some of you? Who preferred Oppenheimer? Yeah, a few of you. Okay. I haven't seen either yet, um, but I'm excited for the whole collection, probably when it's streaming because we don't get to get out that much. But um, uh, stories, stories are important to us. Uh, they compel us. That's why we pay money to go see movies. That's why we go see musicals or plays. That's why we listen to podcasts a lot of times. That's why we read books oftentimes, um, stream shows. We, we love stories and we love stories for a number of reasons. One, stories entertain us. We like being entertained. So it makes sense that we want stories that entertain us. We're not looking for monotonous stories of just somebody doing the normal things of an average day. And you just go, well, that was fascinating, right? Like you want some tension in it. Uh, you want some laughs in it. So stories can entertain us. True stories help us understand not only facts, but truth, right? That's why um, true stories can be so helpful rather than just reading a bunch of facts in a textbook, right? Fictional stories can help challenge us. Stories can give us context for interpreting life. Uh, Stories even have value, great value including financial value, right? That's Disney's entire thing, right? Disney is a storytelling company. And that's why they shelled out over $4 billion a few years ago to purchase Lucasfilms. Now there are some, there are some assets that were involved in that, right? But the greatest thing in the valuation was the stories that they purchased, the access to the characters and the storylines from Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh, Willow, that one's less valuable, but, and a lot of different stories, right? I like, I like Willow, yeah, okay. But stories, stories are valuable. Stories can give, um, help us grow in empathy. We witness the experience of another human, even a fictional human, and you get to witness life from their, their vantage point, and that can help you grow to understand more. And stories are personal. In fact, our cultural, in our cultural moment, this is something that our culture uh, values greatly, is how personal stories are. That's why we put such a high value on our personal experiences, which in so many ways is a really good thing because we begin to truly see and hear one another at its best. We begin to actually understand where one another comes from. Uh, it should lead us not to dehumanizing or demonizing, but actually to, to humanize one another, to be able to go, wow, I, I never would have known that. Wow, I thought, I thought you were this way, but actually you're a more nuanced human being. So stories are personal. Stories can fill us with such hope or they can leave us in unredeemable tragedy. So stories are important. But yet every story that you or I ever experience, the good, the bad, the ugly stories of life, every story ever told is ultimately so far been temporary. Every story that is about a human is temporary. Any story about something we create is temporary. Good or bad, it's all temporary. Eventually, uh, the corrosive nature of planet death uh, gets involved and all stories eventually become somewhat tragic in the sense that humans die. 
Now, it's those moments that I totally get like some into the mindset of deep existential crisis mode, right? Where I'm like looking out into the abyss of life and I'm like, what is the point? Um, And I say that semi-fascist, I'm not even trying. Uh, Kind of joking, but also like really, I, I remember at different points in my life when I've just sat there going, God, is there... Is there a purpose, a point to any of this? Is this just all uh, random things just bumping along in the story of the cosmos? And it ultimately took me to this point that I started asking the question, is there a story that lasts? Is there a story that's true, that provides order and meaning in the midst of all of the craziness of the world we live in? And that's a reason that I'm a big fan of the Bible. Now, oftentimes people can think about the Bible from an outsider's perspective and think, well, the Bible's for people that just don't know better because it's filled with a bunch of crazy outlandish stories, a bunch of facts, a bunch of rules and regulations that don't make sense. And they're semi-contradictory and all of that. But in it, I actually see the greatest story ever told. In Romans 10, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and here's what he says. He's talking specifically about this story, the greatest story ever told. And what he is, what he's getting into is the fact of the importance of sharing that story with those around you who do not yet know the story or what it's about. He says this, how then will they, those who do not follow Jesus, call on him, Jesus, in whom they have not yet believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never even heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry and preach the good news. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the Bible. I'm a big fan of it for a number of reasons. Um, But one thing I love about it is it doesn't pretend that the human story, the human, uh, the human experience is not a real one, that it's somehow void of any meaning, that it isn't filled with tragedy, with highs and lows. It doesn't paint, even its heroes is perfect examples, right? Instead, it displays meaning even in the midst of tragedy. Look at the beginning of the scriptures in in Genesis. It talks about the first humans made in God's image, choosing their own way over God's. I mean, they had everything to gain and they chose rebellion. They took a bite of bondage rather than a freedom. And the story goes on from that tragedy moving forward to every human being being affected in bondage to sin. And so eventually God picks a particular people group, the nation of Israel. And he says, you will be my chosen people. You guys will be the example to the world of what I'm like. But even for them, their kings that they so desperately wanted to be like the other nations begin to lose their way and are betrayed by their own sons. That's a tragedy. That entire nation that was meant to be a demonstration of God's love to the rest of the world well, their hearts filled with rebellion begins to spread out. And eventually it leads to their own captivity by other nations for the rest, for the majority of their history. But even in that tragedy, God didn't leave them alone. He sent to them prophets, prophets who would 
proclaim a word of repentance saying, come back to God's desire, come back to justice because the people had for so long saw injustice for the poor, the marginalized and the oppressed. They had been doing all of this broken, wicked stuff to themselves and to one another. And for that, the prophets were beaten and mocked. Tragedy. And then the scriptures continue on from there with more and more stories of tragedy. And and I actually like that about it because that's real. That's raw. It's, It's like what you and I experience when we're at work or with our families, when things don't always turn out the way you thought, the way you hoped, the way you expected. But just when it becomes abundantly clear that humanity can never get itself out of the cycle of tragedy, something happens in the story that turns the entire thing upside down. Now, I once learned in English literature class that in uh, classic stories, um, oftentimes uh, comedies usually end in a wedding. Uh, That's to symbolize whimsy, romance, beauty. And then you have tragedies. And tragedies usually end in funerals, which symbolize brokenness, heartache, the abyss. And I think about that in the context of the scriptures. What changes in the story? Because it looks like it's one funeral after the next, after the next, throughout the Old Testament of the scriptures. So what could possibly change it? God makes his own way into the story of humanity and the person of Jesus the only human who ever lived in freedom rather than bondage, the only king who never lost his way, the perfect chosen one who represents God's love to the nations, the prophet who was beaten and mocked, but, in, but, but he prayed for his abusers. And as Jesus hung on the cross, it looked like another tragic hero story come to life. And then a funeral comes and goes. The body is buried in a tomb. And his followers begin to weep in deep grief and anguish. And then on the third day, the story continues. The stone rolls away. The tomb is empty. As the heart of Jesus begins to beat again, the blood begins to circulate. The synapses of his brain begin to fire off again. Because you see the one who took the tragedy that humanity deserved is now alive, eating, talking, laughing, and teaching with his followers. See, the story isn't a tragedy after all. It's as if God has written a divine comedy into the cosmos and the joke is on death itself. Now, this story that I just shared, many of you know is the gospel. Um, We often chat a lot about in this community about the gospel. It literally means good news. The gospel is quite literally the good story. The gospel is a story unlike any other. It is, it, it, I mean, think about it. Our stories, our hearts, our minds are all tainted by the tragedy of humanity, right? Our desire to do things our own way. That's in me that's in you. We want to do things our own way, but the gospel proclaims something altogether different. Think about your story, the pain of the past, the anxieties that keep you up at night, the addictions that seem to have you wrapped around their finger. Only God would have the audacity to declare that a story that first went to a funeral could end in a wedding. 
In Revelation 19, John records a vision. Verse six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And what were this, what, what did this multitude cry out saying? Hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the, of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Think about your favorite memories, your favorite stories you got in your arsenal, the ones you love to bust out to people to make them laugh or to, to, because you're so excited, you can't help but share it. The sweetness of friendship, the hope of what tomorrow might hold. Those stories are just a foretaste of this story to come. See, when Jesus, the bridegroom, is there at the ceremony and he is there to proclaim that those who are his, those who he has redeemed and restored and invited into relationship with him is going to remain with him forever. This is what Jesus encouraged his disciples to actually pray for, to desire in their hearts. When he said, pray like this. And he gets to the point where he says, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the beauty of the kingdom to come into vision of our reality today. There is a, a, a not yet, but there's an already component to this. See, our world, our kingdom, it leads to funerals. But his kingdom plays host to a wedding. A union, a unification, a, a, a drawing in, a togetherness that nothing could possibly mess up. See, the wedding is one that never ends. It's filled with praise and laughter and abundance and flavors and smells beyond imagination. And it's in that place that we not only get to pray and desire for, but we get to expectantly step out with God in the midst of his work, seeing his kingdom come, his will be done on earth today in this room, in our hearts, in our community, in this country, in this world, as it is in heaven. But this can only happen if this story, if this good story is actually a good story to you. And I don't mean good story like a good fable, like something impossible uh, and a great idea with a great meaning, but probably not real. No, no, this is good because it actually happened. And it actually happened so that it wouldn't just convey facts, but truth that penetrates the heart. But this only matters if it's actually good news to you. And I'm not just saying this if, if you're someone here tonight and you, and you don't know that it's actually good news for you personally yet. You, you don't know how you feel about Jesus, all this stuff. You don't know if any of this is true. This is just as applicable to every one of us who follows after Jesus as well. We need to be reminded constantly that the gospel is actually good news. Because I confess, 
I mean, I've told you guys before, so often that's not the posture of my heart. I think of it as better news. Seven out of 10 news. But my hope, and I hope your hope as well for yourself and others in this space is that we would experience the transforming power of Jesus in our story, that his story would transform radically our story. Not that all of a sudden it gets perfect today, but that we can trust that he will finish the good work that he has begun in you until the day that the story flips the page. And see, when we trust that this is good news, that this is a good story that is good today, then we get to go carry the story to those around us. Now, maybe when you think about sharing the gospel with others, you are filled with anxiety and fear. You feel unequipped or you feel apathetic um, to have spiritual conversations about Jesus at all. I get it. But I'm inspired by what Paul wrote here, right? In Romans, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, obviously there are many joys in life. I mean, you can go travel the world and taste delicious food and that is good stuff. There are friends to grow close to and so much more. But every human that you and I interact with, including one another, has experienced some version of tragedy, big or small in our life up to this point. And we will undoubtedly experience more in the days to come. But for those who have never surrendered their lives to Jesus, according to the scriptures, That is a path, a trajectory that leads to tragedy beyond compare. And that that should grieve us, not to go and proclaim hellfire and brimstone, but to be grieved in our hearts, to accept the call, the calling, the opportunity to go, to share but not out of have to, but we get to, we get to participate with Jesus in his story. I, I think this is an interesting phrase. He's, he's um, quoting the, the book of Isaiah when he says, um, how beautiful the feet are of those who go and preach the good news. Um, I love that. I, I love the imagery. Um, my, I don't immediately go to like getting a new pedicure or something, um, but he's referring to this beautiful side of someone who goes out of their way to share good news with others, to carry the good story to others, to their spouse, their kids, their roommates, their coworkers, their neighbors. When we share how the incredibly good story of Jesus has transformed our own life, it's unlike anything else that we could possibly share because it's not a story of some momentary blip that doesn't carry any weight into eternity. It is the story that carries all weight into eternity. It's better than a good memory of a pacification. It's better than good opportunities for great travel deals. It's a good story that the king who has come to redeem and restore you, your story has come to redeem and restore theirs as well. Now in the book of Revelation, Jesus, or John records a vision where the world looks to be in greatest tragedy. 
Uh, it's unimaginable. Uh, I think, I do think in stories. So I think of like Lord of the Rings, Mount Doom, everything is black and chaos and volcanic ash and all this craziness. And it's there that the Satan is attacking God's people, trying to discredit and to destroy them. And it says this in Revelation 12, verse 11. And they, the followers of Jesus, have conquered him, the Satan, by swords in their grit. And that's not what it says at all. It says, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not even their own lives, even unto death. It says two things, two things. How do we defeat the schemes of, of, of the evil one? Two things, the blood of the lamb. What does that mean? That is revelation speak for the gospel, the good story where, the, where Jesus was the lamb who was slain for us to live. The blood of the lamb has covered our brokenness. So how do we defeat Satan? The gospel. And what's the other thing? the word of their testimony. The word of a testimony is when we bear witness to something that has occurred. And the word of their testimony is that the good story has transformed their story. So how do, and in the end of times when everything seems broken and chaos and ashes and all this craziness, the gospel and the gospel's story in your life if it's good enough for the believers, whenever this plays out, I imagine this is good enough for us today. And what it shows is how powerful God's story is, that it can empower our story to have actual impact on the story of others, especially in a world that values individuals' experiences, right? We have such a great opportunity to share our stories with others, but not going out of our way to, to force it on others, but to get to know them, hear their stories, have real relationship and see what God does with the opportunity. Now it can be difficult to even know where to begin and learning how to or orchestrate, uh, put together our story. And so tonight I want to invite my friend Lindley up and Lindley serves here at the Disney campus as a deacon. She also serves on staff at crew at Walt Disney World. Um, and so I wanted to bring her up tonight uh, because this is a specific passion point for her. And she's going to lead us into experiencing an easy approach to help clarify your own story. Do you want to come on up, Lindley? There you go. Hello. Hi. I only did production for years and I don't know how to turn on my own mic, so that's good. We're doing great. Hi, my name is Lindley and I've been coming here for seven years and I serve as a deacon at Mosaic and I also serve on the biblical formation team and I'm really loving that. That's new for me. I'm also on staff, like Danny said, with Crew, or formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And I've also been doing that for seven years as well. And so if you aren't familiar with Crew, Crew is a college campus ministry that focuses on sharing the gospel, equipping students, and sending them out to the nations to share their faith. Um, I get to do that here at Disney and work with the Disney interns that are here on the program anywhere from like a year to six months or six months to a year. Um, loving that. Obviously, I've been doing it for seven years, so there's that too. Um, I have a beloved cat. 
She's a really good girl. She's very floofy. <laughs> um, we call her Shar Shar or Char Char or Shar Shar Binks, depending on her attitude for the day. So I just wanted to throw that in because a lot of people come up here and they like talk about their kids. I don't have kids. I have a cat. So <laughs> there's that. Um, so I grew up in a Christian household. Um, I grew up hearing the gospel, and I understood that. And so at three years old, I decided to accept Christ. Um, it's actually my earliest memory. I kind of rededicated my life later on, but I don't actually remember that. So I think, that, think that's very interesting that at three years old, I remember accepting him. Um, I grew up thinking because I accepted him at such a young age that I didn't really have much of a story to tell. And I just didn't think it had much value. I also was kind of like the quote-unquote like good Christian girl, like the stereotypical thing that you would think of. So I was like, oh, I didn't have this come to Jesus moment in middle school or in high school. And so I just thought, I don't really have a story to tell. It's not worth telling. Um, but something I really struggled with was feeling accepted by others and the approval of others. And so something that happened kind of in middle school and high school was I saw that I had a rotating, like revolving door of friendships that came in and out of my life. And so I felt like each year I was kind of starting over. So I'd have one group of friends one year, and then I would kind of lose them, and then I would have to start all over again. And so what that, I felt that that communicated to me was that I wasn't worthy of their time. And so if you know me, you know I love Marvel and Star Wars. Yeah, it's a good time. I love it for its storytelling and for how immersive it is and just I can get lost in somebody else's story and then just really enjoy I don't know the storytelling aspect of that but really how I used it when I was younger was I used it to escape my own pain I'm an escapist I love getting lost in other worlds and other stories um, but I really used it as a coping mechanism to avoid what God was really trying to do and how he was trying to speak to me and so what I felt that God was really trying to teach me was he was trying to help me recognize my brokenness and my sin that I just wanted to avoid. He was also trying to tell me that I was deeply loved and forgiven and wanted by him. So I just did not enter into that um, season of healing. Um, and so... In college, the Lord began to like break down those walls. I got involved in crew, so that's kind of how I started with crew. I was in college. I went on multiple mission trips with them, and so I started learning how to share my faith. And so through that, through learning how to share my faith, I then got to understand, okay, I am a very sinful person in need of a Savior. So I really got to understand my own brokenness through sharing with others. And so out of response to that... I felt like the Lord was calling me deeper and deeper and deeper into that. And so I began to not live out of um, my own circumstances that I felt like I was kind of living out of, um, but I got to live out of eternal perspective. Um, and I got to live out of what is God teaching me so I can then teach to others, so that I can multiply my faith. Um, and so, yeah, he continues to do that to this day. I feel like my circumstances haven't necessarily always changed. I think I do have really great community. I felt like in college I didn't really have um, great, um, I don't know, 
community sometimes. I felt alone still. Um, but rather than the Lord um, just kind of showed me that's not true. And he showed me that through reality checks and through community and through truth of others. And so he continues to do that to me and show me those things to this day so that I can live out of overflow of that. And so that is my testimony. I decided to give you guys my testimony since we're going to teach you guys how to share your testimony. So there you go. I have multiple, um, but that is one of them. And so a personal testimony is a great way to share the gospel with the people around us. It's a highly relational way. There's actually multiple ways to share the gospel. So there's the Knowing God Personally booklet, which if you're familiar with Crew, that is our way of communicating the gospel in the four different points, or the four spiritual laws is also what it's called. There's the Romans Road, there's the Bridge Illustration, and then there's also Prayer, and there's many, many more, of course. Um, But tonight I want to equip you guys in how to share and how to prepare your personal testimony. But why do we do that? Um, I know Danny kind of went over some of the why, but I'm also going to go over some why. Um, So 1 Peter 3.15, it says, If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Ephesians 6.15 which is also coming from the armor of God, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Scripture always talks about being ready with the gospel at any moment so that non-believers will have a chance to hear the gospel and to also respond to him and to be with him for eternity. It's highly relational to share your personal testimony. It's a testament of the truth of who God is and who he says he is in his word. And it is also revealing, his truth is revealing itself through your story. So what is a testimony? By definition, I googled it because I wanted to know. A testimony is evidence in support of a fact or statement. It is proof. It's proof. That's incredible. So why are we, so as we share our story, we're providing living proof. We are living proof of God's testimony. And God's testimony is his word. It is the Bible. And so as we are telling of his goodness, we are also telling how he is our good redeemer. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to go through your little handout. You should have gotten it on your chair. So I kind of want to make this like a little interactive. So get out a pen or a pencil. I'm not going to pause at each question. I'm just going to continue to go through it. But go ahead and write down ideas that maybe God reveals to you or, well, you know, ideas that you have for your own story. But if you have not made a personal indication to follow Christ today, that is totally okay. I actually hope you feel really encouraged and seen in this. I think that there's a lot of questions that we as Christians kind of ask ourselves as we even, it's okay to wrestle. Um, And so I just really hope that you feel encouraged and I encourage you to participate with us. So our first section, woo, let's go. Uh, So my life before Christ, what about my life before Christ will relate most to the non-Christians I know? So here I kind of want you to think about your context. Are you Gen Z? Are you millennial? Are you working in a break room? Do you work at Disney? Do you work in the office? What are some things that you think that will relate to the people that you are around? So what in your story do you think will relate to the people around you? 
What did my life revolve around? Where did I get my security, identity, or happiness from? So for me, I got my uh, uh, happiness from the approval and the acceptance of people, but that might not be the case for you, and that is totally fine. Um, so it might be that you're finding your identity in something of the world. It could be your career or something that you're really good at and people know that you're really good at. It could be your family or it could be something just as simple as not seeing God and not wanting to see God. So what is the thing that you found your security, identity, and happiness from? So how did those things begin to let you down? For me, people let me down because they are sinful, and I am also sinful. Also, escapism also let me down because I wasn't entering into healing the way I probably should have been. So we live in a fallen and broken world. So ultimately, our idols are going to let us down because they are trying to fill a void that only Christ can fill. And so you kind of might be getting to this point. You might be, I just accept, I, I accepted Christ when I was young. What do I do? I still don't feel like I have anything to offer. That's okay. I was in that boat. I also thought that. And so the big and miraculous stories that you hear about on the stage or maybe you hear about growing up, they're really great and they're moving and they're so valuable. But I want to encourage you that your story is also just as valuable. It kind of relates to the average human. It shows that we're not super Christians. Um, and so I just encourage you not to fall into comparison and just to continue with it. Um, so if you knew Christ at a young age, consider sharing how knowing your Savior as a child has impacted the trajectory of your life. So how I came to Christ. When was the first time I heard the gospel, and what were my initial reactions? So most people in here, you probably accepted Christ because you heard somebody tell you about Jesus. And so what were those initial reactions when you heard the gospel for the very first time? You might have been at a conference, or maybe you were the mentor what were those reactions? Were you responsive immediately? Did you hesitate? Were you somewhere in the middle? What were those initial feelings and reactions? When and why did my perspective begin to change towards Christ? So what was the event that caused my perspective to change? Did something happen? Did you just become curious one day? What was the ripple effect that caused that change to occur? So what were the final struggles that I went through that went through my mind before I responded? So what were the obstacles? So was it, why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Was it, why do Christians believe in such an old text? Or was it just a battle that you were going through with mental health and anxiety and depression? And it was very hard. So what were those struggles? Why did I finally give him complete and control of my life, acknowledging him as my Lord and Savior and surrendering my life? So how did you be overcome that barrier? What, uh, was it through a mentor? Was it through community, Christian community? Was it through prayer? Was it through his word? Did God speak to you? And so then we arrive at the last section, my life after coming to Christ. How is my life different now? List some specific changes in your character, attitude, and perspective on life. So here we don't really want to communicate, and now everything is perfect. 
our lives are not perfect. I don't know if you know this, but we live on planet death, and life is not perfect. Um, And so when you accepted Christ, you were sealed with the Spirit, and now you get to walk in step with the Spirit. It's called the Spirit-filled life. And so now you get to surrender your life to him daily. And that is changing you. Every single day, the spirit is changing you. So not how have your circumstances changed, how have you changed? So what are those attitude and perspective on life changes? So what motivates me now? What do I live for? Short answer is probably God. We live for God. Um, But how do you want to word that? How do you want to phrase um, that you live for God? Um, Even though my life still isn't perfect, how does knowing Christ help me deal with that fact? For me, it's understanding the Holy Spirit's role in my life and that I get to choose to live out of eternal perspective and not out of my circumstances. That was a really, really big deal for me growing up. Um, I don't do that perfectly. (laughs) I am not claiming to do that perfectly. Um, But it is a daily thing that I have to surrender to the Lord um, as he continues to sanctify me. Um, And so, yeah, we have a perfect Savior that wants to walk with us through our brokenness. And he loves us and he wants to join us in that journey. So now you're going to find that there's some helpful hints at the bottom. There are multiple there. They're all really great. But... I think that there is a really good one, personally, and it is to write everything down on a sheet of paper, maybe this one, I don't know, um, and to practice it. Practice, practice, practice. Write it down as if you are going to communicate it tonight to your roommate or to your spouse and practice it. And I want to just leave you with one last story. That's actually kind of, I think it's a funny story. Um... So I get my hair done at Ulta. It's really pretty. I really like it. Um, I really love my hairdresser. Um, So we love to talk about reality TV and like what's going on in Hollywood and all of this fun stuff. But about a year ago, um, she was like dyeing my hair and I was in the shampoo bowl. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, like the bowl and it's like really uncomfortable ladies. You know what I mean? You just like, yeah, you're straining your neck. It's terrible. And so, (laughs) so then I heard a coworker, like start chatting over my head. And I was like, this is weird. And so they are actually talking about something kind of sad. So one of their other coworkers got a bad diagnosis from the doctor and I just remember so vividly my hairdresser saying, these are the moments in life I wonder what was it all for? Hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I know the answer. (laughs) I know it. Um, And so I was like getting really excited and like really, really nervous, you know, because it's like, you know, like the Holy Spirit's like asking you to say something. And I waited. And then I waited. And then I waited some more. And then they left. And I was like, oh, man, that was like a missed opportunity. And so then I began to pray. Because I'm in the shampoo bowl, right? She still has to dry my hair. It's not like I just, like, left. And so I began to pray. And I was like, Lord, give me another opportunity. And so there's more people coming in. So, like, there's other people getting their hair done, more hairdressers. Um, And then finally my hairdresser and that same coworker uh, came back. And so I had an audience of five 
not just two, five. And the Holy Spirit said, you're on. I was like, great. Um, And so I was like, hey, I think I know the answer to your question from earlier. And she was like, really? What what is the meaning of life? And so um, because I've been trained in crew for so many years, I was just able to like go through this gospel like spiel essentially in 30 seconds about, you know, our sin and our need for Jesus and what he did. And now we get to respond. And after that, there were kind of like crickets. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I did it. Um, and so um, we went back to the other chair for her to like dry my hair and do all the magic. And um, she was like, Lindley, what, how exactly, what percentage do you know that you are going to heaven after you die? And I was like, easy, 100%. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going to be with Jesus. And she was like, that's really interesting because that's the one thing that keeps me up at night because I have no idea where I'm going after I die. I think we're so quick to talk ourselves out of sharing the gospel with people because we are so afraid of what their response is going to be or what they're going to think of us. It's like we're already saying no for them without allowing them to respond. I don't think we give people enough credit for how spiritually curious they actually are. I mean, I have had countless conversations with cast members, with strangers, with friends about who Jesus is. And there is a whole world crying out and they want to know who God is. Everyone is on a spiritual journey and they just want to know him. Sorry. (laughs) I said earlier that I love Marvel and Star Wars. (laughs) Transition. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to go from here. Um, But one of my favorite things about being a fan is I love the conversation after. I love the conversation after the show or the movie, and it's like, oh my gosh, did you see Nick Fury do that? I think he's a scroll, you know, like just like those types of conversations. Um, and you're like theorizing, like, what's gonna happen next? But I also really love the conversations of the people that have never seen the shows or the movies, and you're like, oh my gosh, it was so good. Like, come be a part of this good thing. Like, we want you to come join us. I think there's something innately built within us that wants to tell people about good things, about good stories. I think it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our design. It's how God has made us. So how do you see God show up in your life? How do you help someone take one step closer to Jesus? And how do you bring someone to a point of trusting Christ for eternity? My prayer tonight is that it starts with your story. Thank you. So good. So good. I'll keep this quick then. Um, (laughs) This community exists because we want to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven in our lives, in our stories, in the stories of those around us. 
It's not, it's not just because we are more right. If that's our motivation, goodness, help us. It's that we're a beggar who found a source of food, but not just any source of food, found a wedding banquet set up. And so what we do is all we're saying is, I found a wedding banquet. It's all there. The spread is there. Come with with me. You're invited. You're invited. Like the angel said in Revelation 9. (laughs) Still chest cold. This is what we are invited into is those who are invited. Blessed are those who are invited into the story. Last week, we talked about the incredible opportunity we have to be a blessing to cast members, to those in our lives. We get to see his kingdom come as we seek to do good for others. And we get to see his kingdom come as we bear witness to the good that he has done in our lives and in our stories to others. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I'm so convicted by what you shared to us through Lindley, through her stories. Lord, help us to truly believe that the gospel is good news, it's not some superstition. It's not just some fantasy hope. It is good news that is effective in the here and now that Jesus is alive. And if he is alive, then that means we can be alive with him forever. Lord, help us to be a part of seeing his kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Draw us near to you. For any of us who are here tonight who don't know about all this Jesus stuff, Lord, I pray that even now you'd be doing a work that only you can do to reveal yourself to these people you love, these sons and daughters you want to bring home into your kingdom. We need you, God, more than we could possibly imagine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.